You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and I am the Director of Marketing and Branding here at Pacific Companies. And for this episode, my co-host is Pacific Companies COO, John Polk. Thanks for joining me today, John. Great to be here with you again, Summer. Back at you, John. Um, Today, I am excited for our listeners because John and I talked to Dr. Jason Yawn, board-certified pediatrician out of Tennessee. Um, Currently, he's an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. He is a medical director for the Family Resilience uh, Initiative. He's a division chief of outpatient pediatrics, a clinical director, um, assistant program director for the pediatric residency program. So he is one busy guy, to say the least. Um, On this episode, Dr. Yan talks to John and I about why he got into medicine, why he picked pediatrics, and he has amazing advice for med students thinking about going into pediatric medicine. So listeners, hang on really quickly after this quick disclaimer for our episode with Dr. Jason Yan. And just a quick reminder, this podcast is intended to be an open forum. Any personal beliefs, views, or opinions represented in this episode are that of our guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Pacific Companies. So please have an open mind and remember that this podcast is not a news source, but rather a safe and neutral platform for candid conversations. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking your time today to chat with us. Uh, We really appreciate it. Sure, of course. Happy to be here. Let's start from the beginning. What made you want to go into medicine? Sure. Um, I don't think I had um, a typical pathway in some ways, but um, I think in some ways probably a fairly typical pathway. It was really uh, my encounters with the medical system as a child, a young adult that uh, drew me into the medical field. Um, I grew up in a home where nobody was directly in the medical field. My father uh, was in uh, government administration. Uh, my mother did actually work as an executive assistant for a psychiatrist uh, who was in academic medicine. He was mostly a researcher um, in addiction science. So she did encourage me and push me towards the medical field, but I was not really interested um, going through school uh, science was definitely not not my strong suit, um, so I was all set to go uh, into a career uh, in business. Um, but uh, my senior year in high school, I was 18 years old, had just turned 18, um, and um, felt a lump uh, in my testicle. Um, it was actually uh, diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, had a couple surgeries. Um, and then had a few months of chemotherapy. So uh, it was really my involvement with the medical system and the the physicians um, that I became involved with, particularly uh, my urologist, uh, Dr. Lynn Conrad, uh, here in Memphis, and my oncologist, um, Dr. Meg Gore, uh, also here in Memphis, just seeing their compassion um, and their drive um, and, and everything that they did for me really got me thinking about medicine. I still put it off for a couple more years. It wasn't until my uh, junior year in college that I finally decided to take that plunge um, and go for it. 
Um, so it took a little while uh, for me to come around, but, but really that's what, what pushed me into medicine in the first place. We are fortunate to have you among the ranks of primary care pediatricians. That's uh, terrific. Do you have a subspecialty interest, something that uh, piques your interest more, perhaps pediatric oncology or something along those lines? Well, I did. I initially thought, you know, uh, that I would be going into medical school. I, th I thought that I would be a, a urologist or an oncologist um, and, and go into one of those fields. And I really did look pretty deeply into urology, um, but I'm just not that good with my hands. And, um, you know, surgery uh, just wasn't a very natural fit for me. Um, so as much as I love the field of urology, um, it, it, it just wasn't for me. So once I ruled that out, I started to realize I, I really kind of liked everything. So I was um, a little bit unsure what to go into at first. Um, I actually initially went into a matched program of um, internal medicine uh, in, a, in a pediatrics program, so a combined program. Um, and what drove me into that was really just once I started uh, doing my pediatrics rotation, just the incredible physicians I got to work with, the educators, um, and then, of course, being with the children and parents. Um, you know, everyone was uh, happy, and um, it was just kind of a different breed of uh, physician and, and staff and people to work with. Um, so that's what really pushed me to, into the pediatrics field. Um, and I, I don't I'm, – I'm a general pediatrician. Uh, I, I I did think about um, doing a fellowship in pediatric oncology, um, but really um, just have a passion for primary care, uh, for advocacy in the pediatric realm. Um, of course, in Memphis, we are fortunate enough to have St. Jude here, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So I was able, through part of my training, medical school and residency, able to work there and uh, see some and be a small part of some of the incredible work that they do. Uh, but in the end, just felt like uh, general pediatrics and primary care was, was the right place for me to be. Thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, we, a lot of our listeners are people considering a path uh, in medicine and which one to take. And certainly, uh, they're coming out of medical school and there's a lot of draw one way or the other. What does it take to be a successful pediatrician? Well, I, I do think it, it takes the ability to be able to navigate a lot of different different situations. You know, I, um, I think working with with children uh, is a little bit of a unique call um, in in the uh, fact that you know a lot of times they may not really be able to tell us uh, what is going on. So I think the ability to connect with children uh, to be able to adapt, whether it's your history or physical exam skills to the situation. Uh, whether that's, you know, I may be seeing a newborn one minute and then the next minute may be seeing an adolescent. So it really um, does take a lot of uh, adaptation even from one minute uh, to the next. Um, and then obviously in a lot of aspects of medicine, we deal with families and um, caregivers and things like that. You know, I think dealing with parents and caregivers, again, is a little bit of a unique aspect of pediatrics, just uh, being able to connect and, um, you know, work toward a common goal um, for a child um, is, is something else that's unique to pediatrics. And, and one thing I, I see a lot in, in my fellow pediatricians is just 
that idea of being a physician advocate, so someone who, um, you know, is really um, out there fighting for one particular patient, but then also looking at that bigger picture for the entire health and well-being, you know, of all children in a community or, you know, a state or even broader. So, um, yeah, yeah so it's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of different things, uh, a lot of different uh you know diagnoses or um just skills to to kind of build um that you get to use pretty frequently yeah and i'm curious as a pediatrician you have to work with a lot of patients that may not be able to articulate their symptoms what strategies have you developed to help you diagnose yeah i think you really have to to kind of be an astute um clinician and, and diagnostician a lot of times, um, you know, really relying on those physical exam skills um, that, you know, for better or worse, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, more tests, uh, whether that's, you know, blood tests or images to rely on, but in pediatrics, we really do have to rely a lot on our, on our physical exam skills. Um, and then again, just those history-taking skills, you know, sometimes I find, um I may have to ask a, a caregiver several different times in several different ways to really get at the type of information or the information that I'm really looking for. Um, and so I think just a lot of, you know, education, a lot of communication with the parents, um, but then really, like I said, really kind of having those those astute um, clinical skills and, and diagnostic skills with the exam and then and then beyond, um, you know, being able to put it all together. So kind of um, going back to that, um, you know, reason a lot of us went into medicine is, you know, kind of putting that uh, mystery together and, and, and figuring it out. So it is, it, it can be pretty exciting um, part part of medicine. Can you give us an example of what you meant by advocacy? Yeah, yeah. So um, a, a lot of work, a lot of incredible work is being done in the field of pediatrics these days um, looking at factors of health that go beyond what we may have traditionally considered uh, health factors that we address, you know, in a clinic or a hospital setting. So thinking about things that we now call adverse childhood experiences. So uh, toxic stresses like uh, abuse or neglect or um, household dysfunction or uh, systemic environmental factors um, such as, you know, uh, poverty, uh, racism, education, all of those types of things that go into to keeping a, a child um, healthy. And so really um, looking at, at the child um, and, and their family from that perspective and realizing that, you know, what I do in clinic is, is really a fairly small fraction of, of what's involved to keep them healthy. So how can we affect systems on a larger scale um, to, to keep children healthy? Um, one incident that we've been uh, dealing a lot with here lately is they um, just implemented testing uh, in our school system for lead uh, in the water. And uh, we've had... Um, about three dozen schools um, come back testing positive for lead. So wow. we've been working with our um, school system here, our health department, to uh, help provide that education, um, you know, how to avoid lead, what to do when children have been exposed, how we need to test. Um, and so that really goes beyond, you know, in, in clinic I may, you know, test 
one child um, for their blood lead level and, and see if that is, you know, positive or negative. But um, being able to affect um, the the behaviors and the the community on a larger level by working with the school system um, and and to help them strategize how to how to mitigate uh, these effects and how to get testing done and then doing a lot with um, the the media and the community to um, you know provide education um, and it's it's really been an eye opening opportunity um, to allow us to um, educate parents that yes water in the uh, lead in the water at schools is is concerning but it's much more likely for children, younger children, to be exposed to lead in the home through um, whether it's water or lead paint or, or dust or, or things like that. So um, that's been one recent uh, example of a way that, um, you know, I've been able to kind of get involved um, on that advocacy level at a, at a larger scale. But nutrition is a big part, I'm sure, of your advocacy efforts as well, educating parents and whatnot about healthy uh, food choices and things like that. Uh, I understand we have, I don't know if it's, it's definite, definite by definition it's an epidemic, but childhood obesity. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. I do think you I, th I think the, your word choice is, is probably correct. I do think we are, um, in the midst of a childhood obesity epidemic and, and probably here in Memphis, we're, we're probably at the belt buckle of, of that, um, as far as, um, as far as that goes so right uh educating parents advising them on um how how they can be healthy um as far as their uh diet and exercise goes is a really big part of of practice these days um and you know I've kind of, we've i think we're we're still learning a lot and still um kind of crafting that message you know a lot of the families that I see I work in a um urban inner city area so we have a lot of food deserts um in our community so it's it's not just telling them you know what to eat it's how how do they access those foods how can they um with the foods that they do have access to them how can they maximize the um you know the ability to eat healthy with what they have um fortunately our medical school uh has developed um some um classes to teach our providers um, in those areas so that, that that makes us much better equipped to be able to educate our families on how to cook healthy um, and, and how to do those things. Um, so I think maybe we're starting to see a little bit of um, the, that tide begin to uh, hopefully um, swell and maybe uh, starting to see some improvement. Um, but that can be a very... Um, you know, honestly, it can be also be a very frustrating part of the practice because, like I said, a lot of our families just don't have the resources um, that they need. So that's another area for advocacy, but um, can definitely be, you know, frustrating on that individual patient level um, because it can be very difficult for those families to, to change um, and to see an impact of, you know, you feel like you put in a lot of time and effort and counseling in that, um, but it's something very difficult to, to change. The, the sense that I have of it is that there is a, uh, a growing uh, groundswell of education and people starting to become aware of the harms created by uh, processed food and, of course, a chronic health issue of uh, childhood obesity and type 2 diabetes, that sort of thing. 
I'm very interested in your thoughts on vaccination and if that's an issue in your area. It's been a hot topic here in California for a while and somewhat controversial. Yes. Uh, so we are definitely seeing more and more of it. I think just um, it's it's not as common necessarily in the in the uh, patient population that I uh, see in my practice, but um, just through being involved with uh, state level things and having a lot of colleagues um, in some of the more suburban areas of our city and uh, some other parts of our state. Um, it's definitely, I think, becoming more uh, and more of an issue, um, and it, it, it's another difficult issue. Um, you know, I think what we see is a lot of um, folks who really just don't want to believe in the science, just a lot of skepticism in, in the science that's out there, um, and so I think the the caregivers and the patients who are really entrenched in that view um, – can be really difficult to have meaningful conversations um, with those families. Um, you know, we see um, a lot of uh, flu vaccine denial this time of year. Um, so I think, you know, a, a lot of that is just kind of crafting the message. Um, we've done a lot of work in my practice on um, Gardasil or the HPV vaccine um, mm -hmm. and, and working on ways to um, – kind of standardize our messaging um, as far as what our, you know, I'm in an academic practice, so I have uh, resident and medical student trainees. Um, and so how do we um, talk to our parents about about this, these issues? What are some uh, myths and some facts that we can use to, to um, you know, um, work against that misinformation? And we've been pretty successful with, with that vaccine. Um, the flu vaccine, probably not, not so much, um, but I've started to craft my message on that, you know, kind of focusing on uh, prevention of severe illness, prevention of death rather than, you know, prevention of the flu itself, um, you know, but just vaccines in general. Uh, it is throughout Tennessee, and I'm sure I know in your area of, of the world becoming more and more of an issue, uh, you know, fortunately – a lot of legislatures, including out in California, have, have really been very active on this. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's that been really encouraging, I think, nationwide to see so many uh, pro-vaccine bills um, be brought forth, a lot of them led by pediatricians, so another great uh, great way to um, put that advocacy into action. Um, yeah. So I think we're starting to see, especially with the recent measles outbreak, um, you know, over the last year or two, I think we're starting to see – uh, maybe the the tide shift there as well to um, you know more understanding and more acceptance, yeah. Um, yeah. especially from that public health point of view. For sure, and I know with social media things can get convoluted so quickly, and misinformation spreads like wildfire. It's scary. Right, it is. It is. Um, you know, I'm encouraged about what the kind of some of the social media platforms have done. Uh, to prevent the spread of misinformation, I don't think enough has been done. Mm -hmm. um, but but that is also, I think, uh, been at least a little bit encouraging to see um, you know some of the platforms from for that type of misinformation uh, begin to be limited. Yeah, and I know Facebook did did that too. Um, 
tell us a little bit more about this family resistance or sorry family resilience initiative yeah so um that's a pretty exciting uh, program that we started um a little over a year and a half ago and um it was actually created uh specifically to address the issues of adverse childhood experiences that I that I mentioned earlier so um like I said, I work in a you know urban inner city practice. Probably about 95% of my patients are on Medicaid, um, so we have a high risk, uh, high needs population um, that we serve uh, in our practice. So, um, and, and with the all the knowledge and research that we are gaining on ACEs, um, you know, Memphis is, is really um, a community that is that is primed um, for an intervention. Um, for adverse childhood experiences and toxic stress and things like that. So we actually borrowed a lot from a couple different programs uh, out in California. Um, we uh, looked at and met with uh, Dr. Nadine Bercaris, who's now the uh, Surgeon General for California and is uh, in many ways the thought leader on ACEs uh, in the country. Um, and also um, we looked at the work of Dr. Dana Long, um, in California as well to build our program and we have uh, taken a two-pronged approach so we are um, a little bit different in that we're trying to intervene in the lives of very young children so our program serves uh, patients in our clinic from uh, nine months of age to five years of age and we are asking about adverse childhood experiences and we're also asking about those social determinants of health so some of the things that I mentioned earlier um, things like um, food insecurity, uh, transportation needs, housing needs, um, utilities, um, personal safety, things like that. So we have outreach coordinators who are embedded in our clinic who are asking our families um, these sensitive questions um, when they come in for their well-child visits across those age ranges. Um, and then based on the the needs of the family. So if we identify any adverse childhood experiences or we identify any um, health-related social needs, um, we directly connect them with services. So if they have a, a social need, we, we work with the family for them to identify what their most pressing need is, and we do warm handoffs either within our system or with um, our community partners uh, to work to meet those needs. And then if we identify any ACE, uh, we offer the family uh, mental health resources, um, which at its maximum is a psychologist uh, that is embedded in our clinic um, to also um, less intense uh, programs that, that we may offer, that we may uh, connect them with in the community. So um, it's, it's a lot about relationship building. Our outreach coordinators are really uh, incredible folks in their knowledge of resources, but also in their ability to connect with families and form those relationships. Um, the other aspect that our, of our program that's, that's pretty unique is that it's not just a one-time um, interaction and handoff. Our outreach coordinators are fairly frequently following up with these families um, to check in on them, make sure their needs are being met, um, and then seeing how else uh, we might be able to, to help them. So, um, you know, really embedding uh, this work in a medical uh, setting, there's a lot of uh, crosstalk and collaboration between our 
coordinators and our uh, clinical staff as well so that, um, you know, the providers know what's going on with these families and what interventions. Um, and then if we identify other things, you know, we may have them um, connected with our coordinators on the back end as well. But, um, you know, for, from the medical end, dealing a lot with growth and development um, and any trauma um, and any medical interventions that, that may be required or mental health interventions um, that, that may be required. So um, we've, we're about 18 months into that program. Um, we've served at this point close to about 400 families, um, and we have uh, also launched into a um, large research program uh, around this as well so that hopefully we can um, show that this is uh, effective in uh, mitigating and preventing future ACEs in the lives of these children, um, hopefully preventing some of the known health outcomes that are associated with uh, early childhood ACEs, um, and then looking at the mental health and well-being of these uh, families and caregivers as well, um, so that hopefully we can have a, a program that um, is replicable, scalable, um, and hopefully, you know, funded by, um, you know, healthcare organizations um, or um, payers or um, governments or, or whoever, uh, depending on, on the location. Um, so it's some pretty exciting work. Um, you know, like I said, California is, is one of the leaders uh, worldwide in this, but uh, Memphis definitely has a lot going on as well when it comes to, to addressing ACEs. So we're, we're very fortunate uh, and we have a great team. Uh, that's working on this. Well, that's very commendable of you. I'm sure it's a Herculean task to get on top of that and, and make an impact, but I, I have no doubt that you are succeeding in that. In the time that we have left uh, for some of our listeners, if I were a medical student, why should I go into pediatrics? Well, I think it's it's fun. Um, I, I tell people uh, that it, the, the great secret of pediatrics, especially primary care pediatrics, is you know, a lot of my day is, is spent, you know, playing with happy, healthy babies, um, you know, talking to elementary age kids about their, um, you know, favorite television shows or superheroes or what they're going to be when they grow up, uh, you know, counseling our, our adolescents on, um, you know, their future plans, their athletic or musical or artistic endeavors. Um, so it's it's really a lot of fun just to be able to connect with children and families uh, to follow them over time and see that progression and see them uh, grow up and change and progress um, over time, um, but also the ability to, to really connect with families and, and have a positive impact on on the lives of children in our next generation. Um, so I think, number one, that's it's, it's fun. Um, most people in our field are, are pretty like-minded, um, and so I think it's a great group of people uh, to work with, uh, have a lot of, of wonderful colleagues uh, who share this mission um, and, um, you know, see things uh, in a similar way. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, I think just that ability to um, not only be able to provide uh, excellent preventive care and advocacy, um, but also when children are ill and need us, um, you know, to be there and to be able to provide that high-quality um, diagnostic um, and clinical care that they need um, to get them better and get them back on their feet and back to doing all the things um, that they should be doing. Um, and so 
it's really rewarding um and you know i think as far as as primary care goes it's it's right there on the front lines and it's being able to affect the lives of these children very early on to hopefully set them up for a lifetime of of health and success um and so that's that that's why i love my job um you know i love all the all the different aspects and all the different things um that i get to do i think being in academics being able to you know train up and and teach and and lead uh our next generation of pediatricians and then also being able to fortunately because of our uh great health system that i'm in and um the the city that i'm in uh just to really be able to do a lot in the community as well and and again in the community also feel like you're making an impact and making a difference yeah what inspiring words been terrific speaking with you today it's uh i commend you for all of the work you're doing and so it's it's really is inspirational um and uh i'm i'm hoping we can get you back on again well certainly well thank you thank you all yes it's been really wonderful and i i'd love to be back awesome well thanks a ton for i know your time is is super precious we're we're looking forward to having you back go chief yes go chief <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we'll have a great rest of your day. All right, y'all too. Okay, bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to be a guest or for more information, go to www.pacificcompanies.com.